0: a few announcements. Uh, first is that the men's Bible study will start uh, again soon on Saturday mornings. Uh, that'll be via Zoom. So if you need any more information about that, please see uh, Eric Pigman in the back. If you don't know who that is, and come see me and I'll point you to the man. Uh, also, just want to remind you that we have the, uh, in the back wall the resources. Those are free resources out there. So whether uh, you've seen them or your first time here, feel free to grab something if you like. And also September 18th, uh, we're doing a, sort of a, a I guess, what do, what do you call it? A Jack and Jill baby shower for Luke uh, and Kat. So that is uh, following the service on September 18th. Everyone is invited to that. It's, so it's just, uh, it's sort of, a, it's, it's for Luke and Kat. So uh, if you come, consider bringing uh, either some diapers or wipes. Uh, but uh, it is just a, a time for just to, to show up. Uh, don't need to worry about bringing anything uh, we'll sort of provide everything for you, we'll provide the lunch, so just come, show up, it'll be a, a good time of fellowship and just uh, a time for us just to uh, catch up and just have uh, good conversations and and just be able to fellowship in that way. So those are all the announcements, uh, we are here to, to worship the Lord Jesus Christ as the King of Kings and as the Lord of Lords. Uh, to praise Him for His grace, for the blessings that He so lavishly uh, dispenses to us. And so let us come together this morning, Uh, regardless of uh, what things uh, you are struggling with, perhaps you're distracted by uh, just troubles and situations with life, with work, uh, whatever those things are, come and worship the Lord Jesus, and not as a way to forget about those things that trouble you, but to worship the Lord Jesus Christ as King in light of those things that you are struggling with either this past week or things that are coming up. So let us cast our minds on the Lord Jesus and let us fix our eyes on him to receive from him the encouragement, the strength that we need for the week ahead. Let's begin our time together this morning by worshiping him through song.
1: Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand and worship with that same heart and intent. Amen. together let the glory of the lord let the glory of the lord forever be our joy may redemption be the theme of our song for by grace we have been saved and by grace we shall proclaim through the corners of the earth Come, let the nations be glad, let the people. Through the trial and the sword Many saints and martyrs conquered Though they died And so we holding out the cross Crossing oceans, suffering loss, Shall endure all things to win The crown of life Sing, let the name you the nations be glad as your holy church goes forth in the holy spirit's heart with the glories of the gospel to exclaim now we pray your oh, kingdom come and we pray your the honor crown him with many crowns, crown him with many can take it in that on the cross yes father my burden gladly bearing he bled and died In spirit and in truth, Uh, as we go now into your word, Father, I pray, Lord, that you may continue to work in our hearts um, as you already began this morning, as we walked into these doors, Father, preparing our hearts to worship you, for you are worthy of our praise. God, may you you lead us today. Uh, May we be convicted Lord, may we be brought uh, before you to our knees, Lord, in repentance if needed. May we be edified and encouraged. In all these things, Lord, I pray and I ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, you may be seated, and at this time we'll also be dismissing our children to our classrooms. I'm
0: going to read to us from Revelation chapter 5. Verses 11 to 13, and then we'll, we'll pray. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing." And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Lord, we, we fill concert halls we, list, we, we fill up stadiums to celebrate, uh, to, to rejoice at music we enjoy, or to see the, our favorite team play. And those stadiums are filled with many people. Lord, as we think about this passage in Revelation, Lord, the, the stadium of man is tiny in comparison to the stadium of heaven that is filled with angels proclaiming worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing forever and ever. Lord, and one day that heavenly stadium will be filled with the redeemed as well. And we too will one day sing with the angels in ascribing the glory and honor and might and power that is yours forever and ever. For you are the lamb who was slain, the sacrificial lamb of our redemption. Lord, we 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 long for the day that we can worship you and join that choir of angels. Lord, and we are humbled that you would call us to gather together in this humble little gathering to worship you and that you would receive Worship and honor. Lord, and as your people, we come before you this morning also in the confession of our sins. Lord, worship shows what we value and what we treasure. Lord, we confess to you that oftentimes we worship those things that are not worthy of worship, things that are not, things that are dishonoring to you. And dishonoring to our citizenship as those who have been redeemed by the Lamb who is Christ. Lord, so forgive us for the times that we have failed to ascribe to you the glory that is due to you, and we ascribe that glory and honor and worship elsewhere. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we fail to honor you first and foremost in our hearts and, and put other things and perhaps even other people as our greatest objects of worship. So Lord, we come before you we desire to reorient our hearts and cast our minds to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our King, to give you the glory that you deserve for who you are and what you have done for us. Lord, help us by your Spirit to live our lives as an act of worship. That we may be continually grateful for your great victory on the cross on our behalf, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are a King who is merciful and gracious, and that you would restore us to yourself when we come before you in humility and the confession of our sins, and that you would continually receive the worship of our lives, and even the worship of our lips as we sing to you this morning. Father, we pray for those who are in a difficult season, for those who are in the midst of struggle, for those who are suffering from just internal conflict, perhaps because of things in the workplace or things happening in the home. God, we pray that you would encourage the saints. We pray that you would strengthen your people. We pray that you would help your sons and daughters to cast their eyes on the Lord Jesus. And that you would renew in them hope, confidence, security, and peace. We pray that you would alleviate the stress of the afflicted That you would comfort the suffering. And you would grant relief to those who are in the season of trial. Lord, we pray for for Amy Marie. We pray, Father, that as she begins his new school year, that she would continue to cast her eyes on the Lord Jesus. That you would calm any anxiety that's in her heart. Father, we pray that she would live in light of the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross and that she would continue to draw near to the Lord Jesus. We pray, Lord, for her kids and that we pray that you would be with them and protect them and we pray, God, that you would also draw them to Jesus and that they would submit their lives to you as their king. We pray for Lloyd and Cindy as they travel to see family, we pray that you would protect them and we pray that you would restore their health, Lord. And with regards to their health, Lord, help them, Lord, to improve their health, Lord. Even the Apostle Paul said that bodily training is of some value, but certainly not as valuable as godliness. Father, we pray that as they pursue godliness in the Lord, that they would also discipline themselves, Lord. Lord. so that they might work to improve their physical health, Lord. We pray, God, for the salvation of their parents. We pray for salvation of their grandchildren. God, we pray for the restoration of broken marriages, Lord, and their family. God, we pray that you would draw people to Christ. We pray, Lord, that they would know the Lord Jesus, even as they go and see family, God, that you would provide opportunities to share the gospel of Christ that you would give them the boldness, the winsomeness to declare Christ. Lord, we pray for our sister Reshma as she continues in her studies and has wonderful choices before her with regards to missions, but also difficult decisions to make. God, we pray that you would provide her the wisdom and guidance and the direction she needs. Father, we pray that you would make the way clear before her, that you would provide for her every need, and we pray that you would surround her with many saints that I will not only cover her with prayer, but also where, that would also cover her with the resources that she needs as she, as she seeks to devote her life to missions and declaring the gospel of Christ to those who have yet to hear the name of Jesus. Father, we continue to pray for a third great awakening, Lord, in New England. We pray, God, that churches would be mobilized to to pray fervently for a great work of salvation in our area. We pray for a boldness in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would turn the hearts of many from worshiping idols to worshiping the living King who is Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray for our country. The prophet Isaiah said to the people of God in times of distress and worry, when they had no home, no kingdom, no leader, the prophet Isaiah declared that God... That the Lord is the stability of your times, that he is also abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. Lord, in times of great anxiety and fear and worry and distress, God, that this would give way to people looking for, for more stability. That people may realize that, they, that such stability and security is not found in the things of this world or in any man, but is only found in Jesus Christ we pray that you would turn the hearts of many to seek the Lord Jesus while he is found. That they might give their lives in surrender to the King of Kings. And lastly, Lord, we pray for those who work in positions, positions of management, who oversee others, who train and mentor others, who oversee departments, Father, we pray that you would bless the work of their hands and cause their work to prosper. And that you would bless their efforts in such a way that it would be noticeable to those that they train, to those who are under them and those who may be over them. That they might be highly commended. We pray that they would, that you would by, their, by your spirit, Lord, equip them and help them to go about their work in humility and patience and care for those that they work with and those they manage. We pray that you would provide wisdom for the difficult questions surrounding their work and problems to be solved. And we pray, God, that you would use them to be a light of the gospel in the workplace. Father, we trust you for all of these things, and we look forward to all that you are going to do. We thank you, Lord, because as the man who was once born blind had said in John 9, that you listen to anyone who is a worshiper of you and does your will. We thank you that you listen to our prayers with an ear to respond. And with that, Lord, we also desire to lift up to you the prayer, God, that you Jesus himself taught us to pray in the scriptures. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Man, if you would, please turn with me to the Psalms. We are in Psalm 21. So this will actually be the last Psalm we'll cover for the summer, and next week we will transition back to where we left off in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's hard to believe that we are, that summer is coming to an end. So, Psalm 21 this morning, picking it up in verse 1. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exults. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings, you set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you, you gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation, splendor and majesty you bestow on him. For you make him most blessed forever, you make him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High he shall not be moved. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed, for you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows." Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we desire to, to praise you for your strength and for your power. Lord, as we turn our minds and our hearts to your word, we pray that by your spirit you would cause our hearts to sing of the victory of the King. May we rejoice in his blessings. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I can't imagine how agonizing the wait must be to be a people who know that the King and the soldiers have gone out to war As you wait to find out the news, what's the status, is it over, who's won the battle, or I can't even imagine what it's like to be a parent who has a child who's gone off to war, waiting to hear if a child is okay or is returning home. And in turn, I can't imagine the kind of relief to hear the news, the king is victorious, that the people have vanquished the foe and the people are returning back. Can't imagine the great relief of a parent to know that their son is coming back home from war and he's okay. Last week we took a look at Psalm twenty, and Psalm twenty most likely being a, a song or a prayer of the congregation on the eve of battle. When the people or the soldiers and the king are about to go to war, the king brings the sacrifices administered by the priests. And the congregation surrounds the king and lift up this prayers to God. God, save the king. And then Psalm 20 then gives way to Psalm 21, also a royal psalm, and where we see that the prayers of God have been answered. And so as we look at Psalm 21, I want to look at it through three different lenses. One is sort of the the contextual lens, considering the passage on its own. Second, considering it through the lens of Christ. And then thirdly, considering it as the church of the body of Christ. So the outline is very simple. Lens one, lens two, lens three. Very creative, I know. So, first lens. Psalm 20, we have the prayers of the people on behalf of the king. May he protect you. May he send you help, give you support. May he, God, remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt offerings. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your petitions. May we shout for joy over your salvation. May the Lord fulfill all the king's petitions. And then we see that the Lord has been gracious and has given the king his heart's desire. And the king, in the heart and with his lips, there's been a consistency, there's been a harmony that he's not thinking one thing or desires of one thing but praying another. But there's a consistency of his heart and his lips as he lifts up his requests to the Lord, desiring to honor him. And God saw into the heart of the king and gave him his heart's desire, which his victory, not just for his own sake, but for the sake of God's people, in Deuteronomy 17, 15, and 16, I won't read the passage to you, but there's, there is there some words with regards to the king, that God that chooses the king for his people, but he's also not to have too many horses, the reason being because if he has too many horses, then he might, be ten, he might tend to trust in the might of his forces instead of trusting in God. And what we see is that the king has been favored by God and has answered his request because ultimately he has trusted in the might of his God instead of the might of his own soldiers and the might of his own hands. In addition to that, God has visited the king with blessings. You meet him with rich blessings, it says. It kind of gives the picture of God welcoming the king back into the kingdom. Not that God had abandoned the king as he went out to war, but God was with him and fought with the king and fought with or for the king. But God is also there to welcome the king and the people and the soldiers home, and he visits the king with horizontal material blessings, blesses him richly, and he gives him a crown, which is an assurance of God's favor. For the king represents not only the people, but the king represents God. Because God tethers himself to the life of the king, the king of his own choosing. In addition to giving him material blessings, he gave him life. The king asked life of you, and you gave it to him. Because God is gracious towards the king who is after his own heart. God spared his life. He did not allow the life of the king to be cut out swiftly in the midst of battle. But he allowed the king to see another day, to return home to his people, to his family. And God bestows upon the king glory. It says, his glory is great through your salvation, splendor and majesty you bestow on him. Here we see something that we don't see anywhere else in the scriptures. God bestowing majesty and splendor upon the king. It is as if God, in a way, is sharing his glory with the king. He's bestowing it upon him. And there's more. It says, for you making most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. So the king rejoices. So better than rich material blessings, better than even having life itself, better than having victory, better than having the desires of his heart granted by God, better than all those things is that God is that the king has the presence of God. This is what gives him gladness more than anything else. He's like Adam before sin, who walked in the garden with God. He's like Enoch, who walked with God before God took him to be with him forever. The king has the blessing of the presence of God walking with him. And throughout this passage, it was helpful when reading and studying scriptures to consider who are sort of the people in the passage and what they do and don't do. But we see here in the passage is that the king does very little. Now he rejoices, he exults, he asks, he trusts. Right, that's not nothing. But for the most part the king in this passage is just is passive. And God is active. The king is the receiver and God is the one who dispenses his grace and his blessings upon the king. Why is that? Verse 7 says, For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. In Psalm eighteen thirty-seven. King David says, I pursued my enemies, excuse me, and overtook them, and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. David says, I pursued my enemies. I overtook them. I did not turn back. I thrust them through. They were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. And he says, why was this so? Because God equipped him with strength. God is the one who provides for the one who trusts in him. The king trusted in the Lord. And the steadfast love of God, which points to the covenant faithfulness of God, remained with the king and prospered the way before him. And he makes it so that he is not moved, firmly planted in the ground, so that he is not shaken. God has made his king like the shepherd's tree that you find in the Kalahari Desert. It grows up to can grow up to about thirty-three feet tall, which is pretty not that it's tall, but there are many trees in the world that grow taller than that. But its roots dig deep into the ground. In fact, it's been discovered that one shepherd's tree had actually roots that dig deep about 230 feet into the ground. The king is made like this tree with these roots dug deep hundreds of feet into the ground so that he is never shaken because he has the covenant faithfulness of God, because he trusts in his God. And the passage then turns to the enemies. It's difficult to figure out who the subject is in the passage. When it says, your hand will find out your enemies, you will make them as a blazing oven. Is it talking about the king or is it talking about God? It's pretty obscure, but perhaps it's intentionally so. Because if the king is represented by God and God tethers himself to the king in covenant faithfulness, then the enemies... Of the king are the enemies of God, the enemies of God are the also the enemies of His king. It Tells us that all the enemies of the king or the enemies of righteous, of righteousness will be found; none will be able to hide. But God will see them, and He will find them, and He will set them ablaze in a fiery oven. They will be consumed by the wrath of God. Not only that, but there will be no lasting remnant. They will not have offspring or descendants who will also hate God, but their name will be blotted out from the the face of the earth. Whatever plans they devise will come to nothing because God is with his king. What we see in these two psalms, these royal psalms, Psalm 20 and Psalm 21, something we learn is that the strength of every battle and every conflict that is waged is found not in the might of the king or not in the might of soldiers, but the strength of every battle is determined upon trust. Trust is what determines the outcome of every battle. And we see that because the king trusted in the Lord, he came out victorious. And the psalm concludes with a praise. In Psalm 50, verse 14, it says, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and perform your vows to the Most High. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. We see here, and also in the psalm as well, that the ultimate aim of deliverance is for the glory of God. The king trusts in the Lord. We trust in the Lord. We offer up our prayers unto God. And if God sees fit to answer our prayers, he does so because he is good, because he is gracious in order to answer, in order to provide, in order to deliver us. But ultimately, it is for the glory of God, so that we may then respond by praising God and giving him glory. So as we consider the Psalms, even as we consider The scriptures themselves, and we continue to read of the history of God's continuing faithfulness with his people. Deliverance time and time and time again. This should also cause our hearts to rejoice and celebrate for the deliverance that God provides for his people. Researchers and data analysts and finance experts might analyze the past in order to determine how things will be in the present and even how things might turn out in the near future. So we, as careful students of the word of God, we consider what the scriptures say and what we see is that God has always had this pattern of faithfulness in delivering his people and that gives us confidence today that God will continue in that pattern for he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is why we worship and we join the congregation of the people in the psalm, and we say, be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. That's the first lens. Second lens. Considering this passage, the lens of Christ, or through a Christ-centered lens. I want to reread Psalm 20. Says, "May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble." Again, this is the prayers on the eve of battle, as a king is about to go out to war. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May He send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May He remember all your offerings and offerings regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May He grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and, in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. Consider for a moment, what if, what if this psalm became also the psalm or the prayer of the angels of heaven as Jesus set his sight? Jesus, the King of kings, set his sights to the cross. What if the psalm was the prayer of the multitude of the heavenly hosts as Jesus set his sight to this instrument of death and suffering? What if the psalm was the song of the choir of angels as Judas took the cup from Jesus, the covenant of the grace of God, intending to betray the Lord Jesus? What if this psalm was the appeal of the legion of the armies of heaven, knowing that they are to stand by and stand down instead of coming to their king's aid as Jesus was determined to go to death on the cross? God save the king. God save the king. God save the king. Followed by an agonizing wait, a period of deafening silence as Jesus goes to the cross and there is no answer from heaven. And as he dies on the cross and he sees buried in the tomb, and his followers and disciples think that it is all over that it is done. It was just to go back to our regular old lives before Jesus Christ. That the choir of heaven is muted just as the king of kings rests in the tomb and remains there for three days until finally God removes the stone and opens the tomb and raises his son, the king, from the grave. And out comes King Jesus. And then the cries of the angels of heaven in Psalm 20 turn to Psalm 21, where they praise God that God has been faithful and has saved the king. Praise God that the pleas of Psalm 20 gives way to the jubilation of Psalm 21. We consider the gospel and that Jesus Christ, the king, is alive and well and reigning in heaven. Which then points us to Christ's lordship. We see that the king of kings, that his trust is vindicated. As he put his trust in God, his father. Just as King David was to ultimately trust in his God and not in his army, so Jesus did not put his trust in the legion of angels that he could have called upon to deliver him in his hour of need, but he trusted himself in the hands of God, and he was raised, and he was given a crown hebrews two seven tells us that if you made him that is Jesus. For a little while, lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Our king is blessed with long life, though he had eternal life already as the eternal word of God who existed before the foundations of the world. But now through his resurrection, he reigns and lives forever as the son of God, as the son of man, as the king of kings. Revelation 1.17 says john says in his revelation of christ i when i saw him i fell at his feet as though dead but he laid his right hand on me saying fear not i am the first and the last and the living one i died and behold i am alive forevermore and i have the keys of death in hades just as the king was given Honor, and it was exalted by God, so King Jesus was also exalted and given honor. It tells us in Philippians 2, eight that Jesus being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And just as King David received the blessing of the presence of God, so Jesus, the King of kings, was restored into the presence of God. In Hebrews 10 and 12, it tells us, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. And the enemies of King Jesus will be made to bow. They said earlier that the outcome in the scriptures, the outcome of every battle is determined by trust, trust in the Lord. So Jesus had to brandish the weapon of trust as he went to the cross and died on the cross. See, because Jesus also came into the world as king to wage his own warfare against sin, against the world, against the flesh, against the devil. As he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom and calling people to repentance, as he restored the sick and as he called the demons to come out of people, he did so each and every time as he continued to trust in the Lord, his God. the scriptures also tell us that a time is coming when the trust will not be the king's weapon of choice, but instead his weapon of choice will be a sword. We consider David, we have this, these these two different pictures of King David. We have David who is the musician, David the psalmist, David who who is very expressive, with regards to his love for the Lord, who is caring for the people of God. In that sense, he's a good shepherd. Not sinless, for sure, but he's a good shepherd. But We also have this other picture of King David, the mighty warrior David. The David who knew how to wield a sword and went out to fight against the enemies countless times, over and over again. When we consider Jesus as well, who is the better and greater king. I wonder how often we think of the full-orbed picture of Jesus. Where we consider Jesus, yes, the good shepherd, and that he is. Praise God for that, because we do need the good shepherd. But Jesus is also more than that. Jesus is the conquering king as well. And Revelation 19, 11 to 16 gives us, helps us to see We have a different picture here, don't we, of King Jesus. It tells us that his eyes are like a flame of fire, that on his the crown of his head are many diadems, many crowns that point to his sovereignty and his royalty, that a sword is drawn from his mouth, that behind him trail a legion of angels riding on white horses, and that he is decked out not in a robe that, Points to his purity and holiness, which he is, but it is a robe dipped in blood. And that he comes to tread the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty, and rule the nations with a rod of iron. Hebrews one thirteen tells us or says concerning Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The enemies of Jesus Christ will be his footstool. Christ Jesus will rest his feet on the back of his enemies. This gives us this is the picture of the conquering king, the king who knows how to make war, the king who comes to tread over the lives of his enemies, who are enemies of God and enemies of righteousness. So we praise christ we say be exalted O lord in your strength we will sing and praise your power for yes he is the sacrificial lamb who died on the cross for our sins to save us to spare us from the judgment and wrath of god for our sins because we too were once enemies of god but he has saved us and made us citizens of heaven and reconciled us to god And we praise him because he is the good shepherd of the sheep. When we taste the bitterness of affliction, when we get a taste of the sourness of sin, when we get a whiff of the stench of the worldliness of the world, let us cast our minds to the cross of Jesus Christ. And from Christ draw forth sweetness and worship the lamb who was slain. But let us not only worship Jesus Christ as the good shepherd and as the lamb who was slain for our sins, but let us also worship Jesus Christ as the king, as the conquering king. Because as sin and death continue to reign, as evil continues to prosper and spread in the world, what we also need, in addition to having a good shepherd king, what we also need is a man of war. We need a king who also knows how to fight and wage warfare. We need a powerful king. As the enemies of the bride of Christ multiply, we need the king mounted on the white horse to smite them with the fury of the wrath of God. As the lions of the devil continue to roar at us and threaten us in the midst of affliction, we need the lion of the tribe of Judah whose roar makes the lions of the devil cower in fear. The Herculean might of the king of kings is greater than the might of all the kings of the nations put together. And that is the kind of king that we need. If you're here this morning and you do not know the Lord Jesus as king, I have to tell you, dear friend, that you are on the wrong side. That right now you are considered to be an enemy of the king of kings. And if you do not turn to the Lord Jesus as king, then one day your back will be a resting place for his feet. So place your faith upon the Lord Jesus Christ as king. Turn to him in faith. Turn to him in repentance. Turn to him as the savior of your sins. And you will be forgiven of your sins. And instead of being an enemy of God, you will be considered a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. and with Jesus Christ as our King. As the saints, let us then consider how might this then apply to us as we consider the third lens. Before we consider how exactly this deals with us and how we might go about applying this to us, consider something. King David and his men were required to prepare for battle and go out to battle and fight the battle While trusting in God, and when they returned in victory, the people shared in the blessings of that victory. The blessings of the king became the blessings of the people. Jesus had a legion of angels at his disposal that he could have called upon at any moment, but he did not. His disciples could have come to his aid. Even Peter withdrew out his sword, but Jesus told them to put back his sword. As he continued to put his trust in God the Father. King David would often leave the city gates and then come back victorious and share the blessings with the people. King Jesus left the gates of Jerusalem by himself to save you and I from our sins and then come back victorious from the grave. The reason I point these things out is that in every case, in the king's case, in King David's case, and with regards to his people, and in our case with King Jesus and us as the redeemed, is that the amazing thing is that we didn't contribute anything. That all we are are just citizens who receive the blessings of the king. We were not called to go and wage the war. We were not called out to go and fight the battles. We were not called out to wage war against the devil and his minions and against sin and the flesh and the world because they are greater than us. Instead, we trusted in Jesus Christ to conquer all those things. And all we do is just receive even though we contributed nothing at all. Actually, if you want to be technical about it, Jonathan Edwards would say that you and I contributed nothing to our salvation but the sin that made it necessary. But other than that, you and I contributed nothing else. We share in the blessings of the King. Titus 3, verse 4 and to 6 says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the holy spirit who he poured out on us richly through jesus christ our savior but even our good works don't contribute anything to the blessings that god richly gives to us through jesus christ The blessings of the kings are bestowed upon us as well. So, his blessings are also our blessings as well because they come to us as sons and daughters of God. Galatians 4 tells us so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. You are an heir in the household of God, which means that you have an inheritance. Matthew 5, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, speaking about the kind of people that make up the citizens of the kingdom of heaven, he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But this is the blessing of God's people who share in the blessings of the king, that they will one day inherit the earth. Matthew 25, 34 says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. thats mind-blowing that there is a kingdom that has been prepared before the foundation of the world and that you and I get to inherit that kingdom because we share it in the blessings of the King through our faith in the King. Not only do we share in these blessings, but we also share in the victory as well. Jesus Christ was victorious over all obstacles. Therefore, Romans 8 tells us that his people are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Meaning that not only are we free from the power of sin and death and the devil, but God even uses those things to even be subservient to us, to make them so that they actually produce good in us. King Jesus was victorious over the devil who had the power of death. And 1 John 3a says that he also destroyed the works of the devil. So therefore, those victories that Christ Jesus accomplished are also our victory as well. That Jesus in 1 John 5-4 was victorious over the world, so then we as sharers of the blessings of King Jesus are also victorious over the world as well. So we join those who came before, and we join the choir of angels in praising God and saying, Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. Therefore, we praise the Lord for his might. That is essentially the applicational thrust of this passage, is to praise and worship. We have a wonderful opportunity each and every week. So we come together and gather with God's people because we come to express our gratitude unto the Lord for what he has done for us on the cross. Not only that, but every time we come together, it is an act of celebration. We come to sing praises to the King of Kings for what he has done for us on the cross. So we rejoice. We sing songs to worship him because we rejoice in what King Jesus has accomplished for us. So we come and we celebrate. And even the things that we struggle with in life, even the sins that continue to plague us, we worship King Jesus and we celebrate in light of those things, not as a way to forget about those things, but we worship King Jesus as a reminder to us that King Jesus is on our side and that we have victory over those things that trouble us. We pour ourselves out in celebration of the victory of Jesus Christ. And even as we pour ourselves out, we in turn receive. We receive strength. We receive encouragement. We receive joy in Jesus Christ. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your act of spiritual worship. I think the reality of that passage is that all of life for the Christian is worship. All of life is worship. That worship is as natural as breathing. And when we consider life being all that all of life is worship we become more aware of our sins that we need to repent of. As we go to the Lord, confession of our sins, seeking to repent unto the Lord so that we may continue to give our lives as a perpetual offering on the altar of God as a sacrifice of praise. As we live with this in mind that all of life is worship for the Christian, We might be even more aware of our need to love one another as Christ has loved us and gave himself for us. So we will do those things to serve the body of Christ, to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to build each other up. As we consider that all of life is worship, we might also become aware of the fact that we probably need to pray more than we do now. To pray more regularly, to pray more fervently for ourselves, but for others as well, for the body of Christ. As we live with this in mind, that all of life is worship, we might become more aware of our need to express more gratitude unto the Lord for what he has done for us, for what he continues to do for his people, as a way to celebrate the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross. All of life is worship. And this is how we always live in the present with the victory of Christ in mind. We give our lives to the Lord Jesus because he gave his life for our life. And he gave us his life so that we may have life more abundantly forever and evermore. So given the record of God's enduring faithfulness, as it's written in his word, given the shepherd king that we have in Jesus Christ and the victory that is ours in him, let us rejoice. Let us worship Christ our king. Let us spend our lives in worship for his great grace. Let us also look forward to the day when we will fill the stadium of heaven and see Christ face to face and worship and celebrate the great victory of King Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there is no other king like you. That you would take those who were once enemies of God and make them sons and daughters in a way that no one would ever expect or assume, in a way that is even scandalous for many people in the world. And that is by dying and agonizing and humiliating death on the cross. But it is in this way that you accomplish your victory. And your resurrection is proof that you have that you are the king who is victorious over sin and death and the devil. We thank you for this great victory. We thank you, God, that because that without our contributing anything to your great work, you graciously lavish upon us your rich blessings. So We thank you, Lord Jesus. Help us to continue to give our lives as an act of worship unto you, for you are worthy. And let us look forward to the day, and let us pray that you would hasten the day when you will come riding on a white horse, followed by a legion of angels, to make your enemies a foot- your footstool, and to establish your kingdom upon this world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen, amen. Church, let's stand and worship one more time together in song, and... And in response to today's message, amen. Sing together. Joyful, joyful, we adore Thee. you father and may we rejoice and take hearts lord in the victory of our conquering king jesus father may we worship our king who has saved us from the wrath of god in the sting of death and praise god for our king jesus praise god for jesus in the victory that we share with him what a joy to be blessed by the work of the cross lord Father, we praise you and we worship your name alone, Lord. Our King of kings, Lord, and Lord of lords, Jesus. Amen. I would like to finish today with a doxology and a verse as well. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Church, God bless you. we are dismissed.